The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Most of us couldn't imagine running multiple marathons or competing in Ironman triathlons, even with the best training possible. Colleen Kelly Alexander did just that, after being run over by a freight truck and surviving dozens of surgeries. In the last episode of the Kindness Podcast, we talked with Colleen's husband, Sean, about supporting someone through rehabilitation. Today, Colleen reveals where she finds the strength to not just endure, but to thrive. Colleen, if I were to tell people that you have run more than 50 races and competed in 15 triathlons, including four half Ironman events, they would be really impressed. That's that's like a massively athletic thing to do. But I think that if people were to know the rest of the story, uh, their jaws would drop on the floor. Can you run us through your life starting in 2007 because those things that you've done are since living through a major trauma. Since 2007. Um, So my goodness. So my trauma was 2011, 2007, um, 2008. I was being diagnosed with a Chiari malformation with a basically a big a herniation of my cerebellum. So I was passing out and having um, seizures and having cognitive issues and was misdiagnosed for a while. And then finally a radiologist at Dartmouth found this significant herniation and said, we're going to get you to Columbia and have brain surgery. And so I did. And um, several months post, that I was getting sick with autoimmune issues and then had a lupus diagnosis and it has been I guess a a bit of uh, a lot of waves kind of hitting since that time and uh, since then my I was married prior and my dear husband at the time uh, couldn't handle my brain surgery and had fallen out of love and so um, I started my life on my own and trying to gain my own roots, if you will, after going through brain surgery and whatnot, and then reconnected with my high school sweetheart. And uh, he found me on Facebook. We had uh, went to prom together, and uh, we started dating long distance, and he proposed, and we got married, and life was going really, really well, and we were so ecstatic. And a year into our marriage and actively trying to have our firstborn I was cycling home from work and run over by a multi-ton freight truck. Um, so just when I think we thought the waves had finished and we had crested and we were um, smooth sailing into this new phase of our life and a new job, uh, that was not the case. So um, we are now... Gosh, I'm so grateful to say that it has been almost seven years, and uh, we, my husband and I just did a marathon together yesterday. He paced me for a rainy marathon, um, and uh, we are at a, a joyful place, and we've just been through, I would say, after having my first marriage, 
uh, where the, the vows of till death do you part, um, hope that they would ring as true. Uh, I know without a shadow of a doubt that these will. So, mm. um, yeah, in a, in a grateful place after all of that. Yeah. You, you talk a lot about actionable gratitude. What, what does that mean when you go out and speak about that? Well, so it's, it's one thing to say that we're grateful or, you know, to just feel grateful. And then I feel it's another thing to actually move forward with that gratitude, to not just feel it or to say it, but to embrace it into your daily life, to go up to someone and genuinely thank them, to give them a hug, to, um, for myself, it's been my motivation to get back into doing races was certainly not to ever place because I'll never place, uh, certainly not to, you know, be fast because I'm not going to, you know, I'm not, I won't be that athlete, but what I can do by doing these events is I get to get a medal at the end, you know, you get that finisher's medal and I was able to take that medal and give it to heroes. And that for me was a form of actionable gratitude that I could actually be grateful to someone and I could hand them something to say, thank you so much for being a hero in my life to go through that journey of however many miles that was. And during that journey of just paying up the gratitude, you know, and um, honoring whoever the hero was for that race that I could honor them in my heart and my soul. And I could send out that energy of thankfulness to them and put this medal around their neck. So actionable gratitude is, I think just what it sounds like. It's, it's actually putting it into action, whatever it might be. You know, if you're grateful for the neighborhood that you live in, how can you get involved with your neighborhood? How can you, um, you know, work on safety initiatives? We all have our, our own individual things that spark our passion and our interest and in how do we put them into action. It sounds like actionable gratitude at some point becomes kindness because someone gave you kindness and you felt gratitude toward that. And then you turn around and give them kindness as a way of saying thank you. Do you see it that way? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, for, for myself, it's been countless people and people that I'll never meet. When I, you know, all the way down to the blood donors, I had close to 80 units of blood just in my first three days at the hospital because my femoral artery had been torn. And uh, when I was run over, I just bled out. And so that's why I kept flatlining. So there's just in the blood donors themselves, they're just people that roll up their sleeves and said, I want to save a life. And then I think of the people that rotated my body and gave me CPR. And I think of, um, you know, community members that came out with food and my gosh, just countless people who, mm -hmm. regardless of their backgrounds and their beliefs, they put things aside in order to work for this cause to make something better. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, that cause happened to be me and what a beautiful metaphor that is for life when we put aside our differences and work to heal something. Mm -hmm. Wow. So when you talk about these heroes that you give your medals to, uh, are they the heroes that you just mentioned, like the blood donors or, or who have some of your heroes been? <laughs> they have. So thus far, I've given away close to 100 medals. Um, they have been to every single one of my surgeons. So anybody that's ever operated on me got a medal. Uh, and then we have all of my physical therapists, um, my home health nurse, my home health physical therapist, my home health occupational therapist. Uh, everyone, when I was inpatient at um, 
the rehab hospital and all of my staff at the rehab hospital. Um, there are family members. There are friends. Uh, my friends literally had calendars going for the first year that they would sign up for weeks at a time because my husband was working full time. So I was never alone. There was always a friend that was flying in or driving in to be at my side. Um, and so there are all of those people. And, and then it was a matter of starting to go to blood drives and thank blood donors and, and have different people stand up and say, oh, my gosh, you know, I remember your story on the news. And I, I signed up to give blood that day. And I would think, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh, I'm going to go do a marathon for, you know, a half marathon or whatever for that person. And I'd write their name down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would just do an event and then find them and, and give them a medal. So that is so cool. Yeah, and it seems like that would be a great way to keep you going and keep you in that place of gratitude and in that place of even wanting to continue to run and do races because I imagine it is painful still for you. It is so painful, yeah. It's, and I'm going back in for another surgery in a couple more months um, to get some, uh, I have a lot of calcification because my pelvis snapped in two pieces and I had a lot of fractures, so my body produced more calcium and laid it down in places it wasn't necessarily supposed to be, um, and it's woven into muscle fibers and around the areas of nerves and whatnot. So, you know, there's chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the beauties about exercise is that a lot of those same endorphins that are released with heavy medications are released with exercise. And so in consulting with my doctors, I would always make sure that whatever I was doing wasn't hindering my body anymore But to be able to go and show up at an event, whether I was in a wheelchair at the time or I was in a recumbent sort of bike hand cranking or a walker, just being around that energy of other people and knowing that everyone that shows up has a story, you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's not visible, there's there's a reason that everybody does everything was so powerful. Mm -hmm. And... um, Finding that common joy with people is infectious. Yeah. So do you feel like then, since we all have a story, that we all have it in us to triumph? And if so, then what unleashes that power? Why do some triumph and some not? Um, I believe absolutely. Yes, everyone has a story. Our stories are all different, you know. Thankfully, I don't think everyone has a story where they've had something as catastrophic as getting run over by a freight truck, but we've all experienced loss and grieving and trauma to some ability in our lives because that's, you know, just the way life happens. Um, and as far as why, why people don't necessarily act upon that, I think it depends on a, a multitude of reasons. You know, what are what where what were their resiliency factors prior? What was their um, their social uh, support system like? Their familial support system like? Um, what sort of internal love to themselves did they have prior? And um, I've found throughout this journey that I'll speak to people and they'll say, oh my gosh, I could never do what you did. I could never, you know, like someone might be going through MS or they're going through a divorce or going through a loss of a child. And they, you know, I just, 
I don't know how I can be strong. And I always encourage people to remember that at their core, regardless of where they are in their life, that same little child that was two years old, three years old, four years old, and full of wonder and full of um, newness and discovery, right? And and finding gratitude and like someone handing you a lollipop or <laughs> finding a flower and smelling it and being so excited. Uh, we lose that as we become adults. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that is just I don't know if if we're embarrassed or what it is, but reconnecting to that, reconnecting to taking care of that younger self and embracing that younger self. And quite often when we do that, we find that when we nurture other people, like it's easy for, for me to nurture other people. And I'm sure for you, it's easy for you to nurture other people, but it's quite often the hardest for us to nurture our own souls. Mm -hmm. And if we think about, our, our own souls throughout our, our life journey and nurturing that. And it's, it's powerful. And it also connects us back to what we've really gone through in our lives and what we're capable of when we think about, gosh, you know, look at what I did when I was two or three years old. Look at what I went through. Look at what I was joyful for. Look at what made me happy. It's powerful that we don't lose that connection. We'll get back to our conversation with Colleen in a moment, but first, today's Kindness Call, sponsored by Cornwell Properties, where location matters. Well, hey, Nicole, this is Tyrone from Wisconsin calling. I'm just calling in my kindness story to your podcast. It is Saturday afternoon, sunny in southern Wisconsin. Um, My wife and I, we have three young daughters. Our middle girl is an absolute animal fanatic. She loves animals. She loves catching frogs and salamanders and feeding them worms. So yesterday, Friday, she took three tree frogs to school for show and tell. Unfortunately, she went about her day and she forgot about these tree frogs in her locker. So we attempted to rescue these frogs after closing hours with no success. We showed up at the homecoming football game uh, saw her teacher at the football game, and we asked her if she could help save the frogs. So long story short, football game concluded, and the teacher went back to the school and rescued these frogs from the bucket, uh, rescued them from imminent death for sure. Um, and the teacher showed lots of kindness after hours to rescue the frogs, and that is my kindness story. Have a wonderful day. Did you know you can be on the Kindness Podcast? Call the Kindness Hotline with your story. You can leave us a voicemail at the number in the description of this podcast. Now, back to the show. It takes women like you who have been through the hard to remind people that they can do it, that they have the power inside of them to to triumph. And you, I, I feel like you must agree with that statement in some form because you built a youth center in Vermont. Can you tell us about that? Oh, uh, yeah. So that was um, a wonderful not-for-profit that worked with youth from nine different communities. And when I was originally... When I started working with them, I was an AmeriCorps volunteer. So I had left the corporate sector right after 9-11. I, was, I had been working in human resources for years. 
Um, 9-11 happened, and I'm sure like most of us in the world, we can connect on some way of how that affected us emotionally. And for me, it felt like, what am I doing to change the world? What am I doing at the end of the day when I go home that is helping this crisis of hate and anxiety and division amongst my human family? And I decided that um, I wanted to join AmeriCorps. And I, uh, I knew that I would be sort of regressing from a financial standpoint, going from, you know, human resource management to joining AmeriCorps in my 20s. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I wanted to learn more culturally and I wanted to understand. And um, I had the opportunity to, to work up at this, this youth center. And after my two years of AmeriCorps, which is basically domestic peace corps, the director was going to need to shut the program down because they just had no funding. And the only reason it was alive is because my position as an AmeriCorps volunteer was such a low funded position <laughs> that they were able to keep someone up there. But without me being AmeriCorps, um, which I think they needed to pay maybe 5000 a year for a full-time staff, they just didn't have the funds to keep it alive. And I couldn't understand like, that just wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. And so um, my former... And I decided that we would do whatever it took to write grants and to bring this place um, to a place of stability that would continue to thrive. And so I didn't have children and um, I was at a place that I could do that. And so for the next nine years, I was there for nine years, um, we built this beautiful program that served thousands of kids and uh it was a, a huge, huge gift. We worked with um, youth from all different backgrounds. From a grant standpoint, we were working with at-risk youth. And we had a, a center up there that kids could come up and play music, and they could basically be themselves, regardless of where they were in their journey. And we had support systems connected with local social service agencies and um, shelters and we had connections with the police for a law and for, um, it was just a, a beautiful program. So that, that became my life's passion, um, throughout most of my twenties and thirties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And isn't it funny how your heart probably for people and for wanting to make the world a better place didn't change, but your, you know, the tools you were given in, in which to have a platform did change because it was because of this this accident that you really were able to to take the national stage. Would you agree with that and, and make the world better on a whole different level? Yeah, I believe that that was definitely a factor in doing so. Um, prior to the to being run over, I had accepted a position with this international nonprofit called Peace Jam. And so that's why we had moved to Connecticut. And so at that point, I, I had the ability to learn about the lives of these incredible Nobel Peace Laureates from around the world and to work with them and to organize peace conferences and um, and to speak on a, a regional and also national level with these amazing people. And so... I think after the trauma had happened, and even though I lost my position with this organization after being in a coma for so long and just uh, being out of commission for so long, 
those things that I had learned from my work with working with teenagers and uh, my studying of these Nobel laureates and meeting them really created this uh, this beautiful awareness, I think, that um, when I was at my lowest point, when I was at the trauma center, not the trauma center, I'm sorry, the rehab hospital, I remember getting to a point, and I talk about this in my book, that I really wanted to die. I was angry that my husband fought to keep me alive, that, you know, I, I just didn't know what my future was going to hold. I couldn't walk. I couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. I could barely eat by myself. And, you know, I, I just, how would I ever be a, the wife that I wanted to be? I was never going to be a mother again. Um, you know, so many things. And I remembered one of the quotes at one of the Nobel Peace Laureates that I had the honor of working with and knowing had said to me, and that was emotion without action is irrelevant. Mm. And that was such a uh, driving force for me in getting through this trauma and getting through all 30 surgeries so far of realizing that regardless of what's happening in life, if I'm sad or angry, if I'm feeling fed up, and at the time I was to a point that I just, I was willing myself to die in my bed, in my own excrement. I didn't want them to change my wounds. I didn't want them to do anything. Um, and that if I had this much emotion built up into wishing I would die, what could I do with that emotion? And if I did nothing with that emotion, what a waste. Mm -hmm. um, and not just for myself, for my life, but look at all these people and all this energy that had been moving forward to my survival and what could we do with those ripples, you know, with that energy. Um, and that for me was really a catalyst remembering that quote and it stuck with me to this day. And I think it will stick, stick with me until my very last breath, you know, mm -hmm. emotion without action is irrelevant. Powerful. Yeah, that is powerful. What do you want from people? What do I want from people? That's such an interesting question. Um, I think, what do I want from people? I, I would love for people to break down their internal boundaries of doubt and fear and negativity of themselves and of others. And we So one of the most powerful tools that I've learned since this has happened is that at our core, we all bleed red. That's it. Mm -hmm. And after having so many units of blood, and who's to say that that blood was from someone who was white, black, Asian, Hispanic, Muslim, Hindu, gay, straight, um, my heart only knew that it was dying repeatedly and needed human blood, period. That's it. And so when we come down to that point, I would love for humans to look at each other as we are one. And yes, there's a lot of hatred out there. There's a lot of anger out there and there is division and I'm not to say that I think all humans should run around in circles singing Kumbaya by any means. We have work to do. And working for peace and working to break down barriers is, is tough. It's working for peace is 
one of the hardest things that a human can ever do because it's resisting, um, being angry, causing division. I think that's easy. Um, but forcing ourselves to look at our own issues is tough work. And as we work on ourselves, then we can then work on breaking down boundaries elsewhere and realize how much more in common we have than not in common. And so I think that's what I want from people is to look at themselves as capable and as love and, and not as incapable and bitter. Those are beautiful words for us to just meditate on and carry with us through our day from this podcast. Colleen, thank you so much for talking with me You're today. You're so welcome. Yeah. Thank you. That was a conversation with Colleen Kelly Alexander. You can find her book, Gratitude in Motion, on Amazon. Learn more about Colleen and Sean's story at ColleenKellyAlexander.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Madeline Peck. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, we'd love it if you'd spread some kindness in the review section.